Now it's True Wealth presented by Little John Financial Services. Here is David Littlejohn with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, it is that time of the week. Best Tuesday you've had all week, and it is time for the True Wealth Radio Show. Stoked to be in studio with Matt Dixon. All right, crew. And uh, right out of the gate, uh, this should be the opinion of this station. Yeah, the announcement, well, this is not necessary. Well, it should be. That's how yeah. I feel about it, right? In fact, if you don't have an opinion, I'm happy to give you one. I want one, David. Give me, <laughs> give me your opinion of the I'm day. I'm so rarely shy of one, right? Uh, it's uh, well, although I, 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 I am trying to be aware of my blind spots, mm. right? There's we just because guess what? Here's here's a profound statement for a Tuesday. We don't know what we don't know. That's going real deep, I David. Know, right? I'm like, just wow, everyone's just sitting there reeling on that one. <laughs> like, is that the best? Yeah. Well, thanks for the show. I guess uh, we're gonna play reruns now, Dave Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> well, David, how are you feeling right now? The markets. Oh, oh. God, we know how to do that too. There we go. So, um, how am I feeling yeah. today? Yeah. I mean, we've had a little bit of a. Of a little bit of a rally, right? Like things got pretty ugly there for a second, kind of came back. Mm -hmm. We've seen a lot of volatility though. We have. VIX has been pretty high, but it looks like it might be starting to kind of roll over. So, yeah, you know, we're so this is just so everybody's aware. Matt's he's he's picking at some hmm. of my favorite things. <laughs> I he am. knows that, right? I am. Because I, I do enjoy the market analysis. Uh, but some of this, it's it's very macro data. I mean, here's mm -hmm. here's sort of my my working theory. Okay, not to be construed as advice nor actionable, but maybe interesting sure. or maybe super boring. I, I don't know. My working theory though is that this market probably goes higher. Okay, and it does so. Now, hang on. Yeah, now, it, not, I'm over here. Like, when? How yeah, long? So, <laughs> so, like in the fourth quarter. I think that we could see throughout the month of October and some of November uh, a rise in the markets right now. And largely because I think the markets have, have anticipated a number of things occurring. Okay. Like what? Give me an example. Uh, what are the markets? Hikes. Okay, we're market pricing some of that in. at least two more rate hikes. Okay. Right. So that would be in November coming up here, November 2nd, and then like December 5th or 6th, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's anticipating at least those two rate hikes. Yep. Probably, uh, I think it's it's looking. I haven't checked the actual data, but like seventy five basis points kind of things. Mm -hmm. So, uh, if that is the case, it's going to push interest rates quite high, right? And people expect, right? We are now hearing, and the joke is, this is the most forecasted recession we've ever seen. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, okay. I, I will say that I think we're already in the recession. I would you know, say we so. Will, we will formally call it after the fact. It's just it looks really weird because different parts of the market are fragmented. What do you think is causing them to not really officially call it yet? Is oh, it I just, think some of it is political gamesmanship. Yeah, just like, hold on. like let's... Well, I, I don't think there's – it's so hard to make a straight-faced case – that people are not trying to manipulate the news cycle going into this election. There it is. It's yep. just it's just so hard. And I don't care what team you play for. I'm just saying, you know, as the joke says, don't piss on my back and tell me it's raining. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on, this is happening. 
Right. So I mean, when when you hear like, oh, we're going to release oil from the strategic reserves, mm-hmm. and you go because fuel prices are really high, we got to try to drive fuel prices an artificial drive before yeah. the election. Yeah. Right. Meanwhile, Saudi Arabia has, and well, OPEC, but well, don't which even is get me started. Time Saudi Arabia in the in terms of that block there, right? Who has a pretty contentious relationship with the Biden administration mm-hmm. has also cut production. Which right? should drive oil prices higher, which should make fuel prices go up, right? And they're not a direct one-to-one link, but that would be the implication, right? So you're like, you hear these 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 rumors of the Biden administration saying, look, hold off on the cuts until post-election. Uh-huh. And then you hear, we're going to release more out from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And you go, okay, well, Why? And I go, give me a reason strategic. Well, you know, because consumers really need the prices lower. <laughs> um, we're in a rate hiking cycle. Right. Okay. The The Fed has openly declared war on the economy to reduce inflation. It's true. I, what part of this isn't trying to manipulate the news flow? <laughs> That's the part where I go, I, you just, Okay. And and I and I'm even blaming them. Look, if you're in a position trying to keep your job, you're going to try to decorate the numbers on the page to make it look good. Of course, right? I mean, that's just self-preservation. So I get it. And let's let's not pretend that anybody that's gotten to a job like the presidency doesn't have skeletons, right? I mean, there have been deals and trades. Mm-hmm. Right? There just have in order to climb that that ladder of attention. You have. You've made compromises along the way. Okay. Just the question is, how many compromises have you made? <laughs> right. I mean, like idealists rarely make it that far because they they don't broker the trades as well. Mm-hmm. And so there's all these political dollars that are required just to get the word out. Right. Yeah. So, and, and in fact, if you really don't believe me, this is the key. Right. What made Trump such a wild card candidate was. He didn't spend that much because the media gave him so much coverage because he was such a mogul, like a media mm-hmm. personality and figure already. He was so newsworthy that it was like a lot of, you know, relatively speaking, like very cheap to free PR for him. So yeah. he didn't have have to spend the same, which meant he didn't have the same party entanglements. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there you go. He wasn't not as many lobbyists. I don't need your dollars. I've got the media is going to cover me either way. Well, that's political science, right? But my my larger point still is, I see all this these behaviors going on, and um, I think there's some election gaming for votes. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I also think the market sees it coming, right? Look, if I'm out yeah. here seeing it, it's not because I'm clairvoyant. I'm just calling what everybody's seeing here. Mm-hmm. And the market generally likes fewer variables. It's like, why do we think the market may? get a little bit of a tailwind post-election. Fewer variables. Yeah. But what did I say this morning about the outcome of the election? What did I say I think might happen? Well, I think you said a lot of it you already view as priced in. And it's kind of one of those things where it's like, how much of an effect is it really going to make? Yeah. Big no, picture. Specifically, yeah. Did, I, do I, did I say what I thought the market would do with one party win versus another no you just it was kind of a neutral thing yeah my my position is i think that it doesn't matter who wins i think the markets will breathe a bit of a sigh of relief just to have it over with Mm -hmm. 
just to know what the outcome is. Well, because some of what you worry about is what we would call an October surprise, right? October surprise is the idea that somewhere near the election time, and we're there, mm-hmm. that somebody is going to drop. And it's more of an issue in presidential years when you've got a, a, a national election as yeah. opposed to your, your local elections. But people worry about some kind of controversial news event that occurs that would sway the outcome of the elections, but the markets worry that it could sway the impact of the market, right? Yeah, the market's so, concerned about the market. Right, so when you get past the election, you go, okay, most of the air quotes October surprise should be gone, right? Baked in now. Mm-hmm. So fewer variables. That means a little bit less uncertainty, which tends to be a good thing. Historically, October is the best month of the year. Right. So you're saying the market's looking more at job reports, inflation numbers than they are it's, who's I, sitting in the in the seats. Yeah, I think the job the market's looking at whether or not the Fed policy is going to be effective and get what the Fed wants. And mm-hmm. if so, how can we price the cost of capital into this market? Right. And how long is it going to take before the Fed achieves its goal? Yeah. And and just for those of you listening, if, if you didn't follow that, if that sounded like geek speak, like the cost of capital in this market, well, it's like what what people are trying to figure out is how much is it going to cost to borrow money? Mm-hmm. Okay, so if mortgage rates keep going up and up and up and up, it's really destabilizing the housing. But if we know that mortgage rates are going to be stable or even dropping, then there's that optimism. Can be good for mm-hmm. the housing market, right? And so that's the cost of capital is, is sort of code speak for. What does it cost to borrow money? And we don't really know right now because it's changing rapidly That's every day. That's it's, the problem. It's less predictable because of all the variables. But if we saw variables coming off the table, mm-hmm. and if we saw that the policy efforts were beginning to show signs of effectiveness, yeah. right? we raised rates, and we did see the housing market cool, and we did see the jobs market cool, mm-hmm. and we did see unemployment figures begin to change, and unemployment was rising. Right. And you go, okay, it's working. Then we would expect to see inflation tamp down. Right. And we, and we are seeing it in the commodity space. Okay. Oil's kind of a, an exception, but do you remember the jokes a year ago about the price of lumber? Like last right. summer? Yeah. Like, hey, why don't we just take out a second mortgage on our home to buy a two by four? Yes. Yeah. Right. And if you've gone into, you know, Brand X hardware store lately, the price of lumber is down materially from a year ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm not saying it's like it was back in you know, 2008. Right. Okay, but I'm saying it's backed off a lot. Now, food and energy prices, not yet. Yeah. But the the weird thing is we don't report those in our core CPI calculation. Mm-hmm. Right. So food and energy aren't part of that calculation. But if we can start to see. We're, you know, on the fringes, right? So if food and energy start to go down, and oil's kind of all over the place, it did finish positive, but it's mm-hmm. well off of its, you know, over $100 a barrel price. It's about $83 and some change right now. Yep. If we see the price of these things come down, that should be good. Now, there's there's a whole other element that we've not yet talked about to this market. You want to know what it is? I do. Good. We'll talk about it after ah. this evil break. So we're going to do that. And stick around. When we come back, I promise to tell you, and I'll, I'll give you a hint, it doesn't happen in the U.S. borders. But we gotta, we got to do this first. 
We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang. Welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with my main man. Matt Dixon. Matt, we uh, first yeah. reminder, uh, if you guys are just getting caught up, grab mm. our podcast. Right? Yes. Like if you, if you join us midway through the show and you're wondering where this all came from, Today is sort of turning into the macro show. Mm, okay? Talking right. big scale stuff here. Big, well, the big picture, right? Mm-hmm. Big picture. And, and we just talked about some of the domestic stuff going on, right? We've yeah. got basically an election a couple, about, well, what, less mm-hmm. than three weeks? Right at three weeks out. Wow. Weeks it today. came up pretty fast, didn't it? It did. Yeah. Right? Uh, so, and, and you want to know what's really terrifying about the election? It happened shortly after my daughter's eligible for her permit. Oh. Oh yeah, yeah. Now the good news is most of the time I'm gonna be in the vehicle with her and um, stomping on the invisible brake pedal. But uh, it needs to be like an airplane where both people have control, so you can like override. <laughs> no. Yeah, be, like that's a negative Ghost Rider. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, the macro show and the 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 thing is, what's driving the big picture right now? Mm-hmm. I think it's important that we sometimes revisit that because one of my points earlier was the, looks like the market may have a little bit of potential run higher from here. And, and mm-hmm. it's it's like the stars temporarily aligned, but it's not because things are better, right? It's not like economically we've turned the corner and everything's better. It's that there's we're starting to see some clarity. We believe some things are starting to be priced. The market's reflecting in the price already. And we're in a condition that we, we sometimes call oversold. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, oversold has it's a sort of a pliable definition, right? Like if I say oversold, what does that sort of what does that sound like to you, Matt? To me, it sounds like there was a huge line of people selling and no one willing to buy, but eventually the price got so attractive that it's got to swing the other way because it's gotten too cheap. Yeah, it's it's basically an imbalance in buyers and sellers. Mm-hmm. For a, for a little while, and if you see enough of an imbalance, mm-hmm. then it can snap back the other way. And some of the reasons it snaps back is because people also buy on contracts for future pricing. Right. Right. So they're anticipating future pricing, and they will take positions in derivatives, so options and futures contracts. And they may have reason to need to repurchase shares in order to cover hedged positions and so forth. So if you get to extremes in the marketplace, you can sometimes have these snapback events where people that shorted the market have to buy back in order to cover their positions to take profits. And then you've got other people that have put in place derivative trades and they need to reposition those. And all of a sudden, the the, the imbalance of sellers and buyers shifts and starts to head the other direction. Yeah. Like right. if you told me, Matt, I'm going to sell you my vehicle. I'll sell it to you for twenty thousand. I would say no, but if you automatically drop the price down to five hundred dollars, I'm gonna want to buy it. And all Justin's gonna want to buy it. Everyone's gonna want to buy it, right? Everybody's gonna want the truck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even me at that price. So, (laughs) um, yeah. So those are scenarios where, and it's not just an attractiveness thing. It can be because of a second order effect, right? Mm -hmm. A short seller is somebody that sold the stock before they owned it. Mm -hmm. And they have to buy it back in order to cover the position because they basically sold low, but bought even lower. Mm -hmm. And they made the the profit on on purchasing it back below their sale price. We could turn that into a vehicle analogy too. Well, it is, right? You know, it's like the dealer sells you a car that's not on the lot. Right. 
and they bring it, right? So they got to go find it for cheaper than they sold it to you, or they're in trouble. Right. Yeah. Okay? The prices jump overnight. The, yeah. Imagine <laughs> if the price changed overnight. All of a sudden, the the dealership is exposed to risk, and now the price of the vehicles starts shooting up, and they have to pay more than they sold it to you for. They could lose money. Right. Works like that in stocks. Yep. Okay. So you could see a second order effect change the dynamic or that balance of the the markets, and so the the buy and sell balance shifts. So we can often see statistical measurements that suggest that that's likely to occur. So we can call those conditions oversold. The same happens on the other extreme where it's overbought. You have uh, an unusual amount of exuberance in buying, and it's just not a sustainable thing. Prices are sort of out of whack for other reasons, and then you get the snap back as well. So I always, it's like a rubber band, right? That's my analogy. So, you know, the rubber band, you can sort of stretch it, but it wants to snap back into its original shape. And so you stretch it far enough, you can break it, and then other stuff starts to be a problem. But as long as it doesn't go too far, then it wants to sort of snap back into its original shape. And markets generally like to do that, kind of snap mm-hmm. back into trend. So if we think there's a little bit of a oversold bear market style rally where the market's recovering from some of the pricing imbalance or the supply and demand imbalance, then at some point we think that probably caps out again. Mm-hmm. Prop and, and some and most most analysts are suggesting sometime in the f- first quarter of next year that we'll see the markets continue to roll over and keep going lower because we are in this recessionary environment where basically Federal Reserve policy is like we're going to hammer this economy until we beat it into submission. Mm-hmm. But and you had a bigger point here. You think not just looking at this on a national level. You think we can take this and look at it from a more global perspective to try and gain a little bit of understanding about what's going on. Yeah, not only can we, we must. I think we do. Right. I mean, it's it is part of the picture now. Is that you know you look at oil. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're not. We are capable of, but we are not presently, as my understanding anyway. So you know, fact check away. But we're not an energy independent country. Right. Even though we may have the capability, we largely import a lot of our energy, mm-hmm. and we don't we don't pull from our own stores. Now, if you're arguing on the hundred year theory, that may be brilliant, right? Because we'll still have the resource when a hundred years from now everybody else is tapped out. That could be brilliant. Okay. Sure. Uh, nevertheless, it can create the dynamics we experience right now, which is lack of you know our energy dependency on others, and then you get into things like the global war in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Right? And I call it a global war, even though it's in Ukraine, because all of the different and it's not a world war yet. Right. And let's hope it doesn't become. But it's global because of the entanglements economically. Right. That we I all mean, experience. it's true. Iran today was shipping missiles and stuff to Russia. So people have and we've been doing mm-hmm. this. We've been shipping stuff to Ukraine. We're yeah. all kind of picking a side and and supporting it. Yeah. Now, here's a really big picture thing that I'm going to say it. And I, I feel like it's risky to say, but 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 I'm going to say it anyway. And, and risky because somewhere somebody's going to listen to this and going to go, oh, well, you are out there taking this position. I, I mean, let's – I don't have any real ambitions for political office. But, you know, if I were somehow in that position, they're going to pull this podcast. And then they're going to go, do you remember when he said this? And I'm going to go, well, look, you, you have to kind of look at the, the backdrop and just – it is what it is uh, – and you know, draw your own conclusions, but I believe that there are two fairly large and competing factions domestically when it comes to 
foreign policy. What, what are the two that we're looking at here? I think that we have globalist mm-hmm. versus nationalist policy concepts. Okay. okay. And so, and if I were to draw and put a, a, a caricature on those, um, I would suggest that like a Donald Trump mm-hmm. was a nationalist. Because okay. he focused more on what's happening with inside, it like was, he was protecting more, more and, concerned with yeah. internal within the borders, is doing things that made the United States stronger and more independent economically. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, it's not that they were to be no trade partnerships, but that those partnerships should be secondary. Large, well, they should be largely advantageous. Right, to the US, there you go. Right, it's not one of these where it's like, hey, we're gonna you know be benevolent in our trade partnerships it should it should advantage us okay uh and then the other would be that it was largely about uh strengthening one's own capacity so manufacturing within our own borders uh strong military those sorts of things and so Mm -hmm. that would be a nationalist position of you know the united states should be as strong as possible okay okay globalists don't necessarily want in my opinion, there are those that differ. They don't necessarily want the United States to not be strong, but I think that they see the United States as needing to be more collaborative, and so strength isn't the goal, right? Strength is healthy economically, but it's not strength for the sake of being, being able strong. to secure your yeah. position in the hierarchy. It is strength because it's healthy, but what we should be doing is leveraging global resources and cooperating more with all of the other countries and governing parties. Okay, and that's that's more challenging because you've got all these different cultures and different economic capacities. Okay? Right. And if you use that as the backdrop and and the the thing and and think globalists are the ones that by design are saying things like, well, part of it, it, it if if you're a globalist and you would suggest, well, why why don't we send labor overseas? So if Nike is having their shoes manufactured in Vietnam and then brought back, well, that's part of a globalist economic system. Vietnam benefits because, you know, they've got better mm-hmm. economic activity and the U.S. benefits because we have cheaper shoes. Right. So in theory, right, um, you know, the question is where do the, the savings go? I mean, does it go to the consumer? Does it go to the shareholder? Okay. So and those are those are real questions. Yeah. So you're allowed to ask those questions. Okay. But the the issue is. You know, there are some people that say, well, we should just have everything made in America. You go, okay, well, that's more of a nationalist position where globalists would say, well, we should have cooperative and strategic alliances all over the place. And I've noticed you haven't picked a side here and you haven't really said one's right or one's wrong. You're just kind of giving me the breakdown of the two. I, that's, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I, I have my opinions. I mean, if I'm honest about it, I think that there are, it's, they're both at play here. Mm-hmm. Now, as an example, I don't think you can not be nationalist when the rest of the world largely outsources their military to you. Mm-hmm. Okay, That's a weird political statement to make because it sounds like I'm a warmonger, and I'm not. I'm anything but that. But if you consider that a bunch of countries in Europe don't have their own militaries, mm-hmm. and Europe has military capacity, but the United States is a hyper-military capacity. So what we have is a lot of strategic alliances to say, well, we'll defend you if something goes wrong. And then you have people that say, great, now the U.S. is the world police and we spend money flagrantly and recklessly all over the place. And we get involved in things that's none of our business while we're not taking care of things at home. Mm -hmm. Okay. Also, fair questions to bring up. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
but but that, that's that's the idea is it's hard to not have some of that as a nationalist because in a globalist world we're still being asked to provide some of those elements right but i think it's also sensible that there are different natural resources and economic capacities and so how do you lift other countries out of poverty for example well you can start by helping introduce capitalist system i happen to believe in capitalism you don't then you really disregard what i'm saying but i do mm-hmm. i better that's my that's my gig right <laughs> <laughs> but if that's the case then you're introducing capitalism in an ethical and healthy way it should lift the standard of living for all involved through economic activity okay so that to me is the idea that the pie can get bigger and we can bring more people into that equation okay where you're going to butt heads is political ideologies and cultural philosophies and so forth right? right i mean if if you consider if your cultural philosophy is that ownership doesn't exist yeah we're going to really butt heads yeah right i mean we just are and i'm like i'm ready for it but if you believe that you don't own the product of your labor okay we we're really going to we're really going to cross swords over that we just are so i gave you this big backdrop i realized i probably just spent way too much time on it but the idea behind this, now that we understand, so so globalism is the idea that everything's connected mm-hmm. in some form or fashion, uh, and then nationalism is more about strong within our borders, that they don't have to be mutually exclusive, and they're not, right? Because if there's a globalist regime, I would consider the current administration, the Biden administration, is largely globalist mm-hmm. in their approach. Not exclusively, but largely. And so that yep. would be a difference between the two regimes. And so you find yourself going, well, where do I stand on this? And then all of a sudden you go, I didn't really think it was those kinds of issues. I thought it was more about, well, isn't it good that we should have a manufacturing capacity so we could have jobs in America? Because when COVID hit and we were relying on PPE coming out of China and we couldn't get it, we had a problem. Mm-hmm. And, and you go, yeah, there is a balance to this. Right. right? So you're not wrong. But at the same time, if we try to bring everything back within our the borders, the cost of the goods, it, just well, it is blows extreme. everything up yeah. because our our laws are super expensive to comply with, mm-hmm. and we keep adding more, right? Mm. So that's capitalism trying to find ways to go to be more efficient. Uh, you may discover that trying to manufacture everything domestically makes everything so expensive that you have to start figuring out where you're going to substitute because the 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 way the pie operates, right? Mm-hmm. So. Anyway, let's use this backdrop, globalism versus nationalism. How does this play into the market and what does it mean? But speaking of capitalism, we've got to take another profit <laughs> break. So we'll do that and we'll come back and unpack some more. Stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. we got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. Where I apparently have accidentally started monologuing. You know what? It happens. You're a passionate man, David. (laughs) I I don't even know if it's passion or I wish if I could convince more people to kind of just listen to the lay of the land. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, This show, I've probably taken too much time explaining it because I, I I really would love for our listeners to to be able to articulate this in a way because it boils down to some mega themes I guess they're political in nature but they're inescapable right like, like even though they're political doesn't mean you can avoid them right uh, the, remember my comment earlier the question is who owns the product of your labor right 
Okay, this is a really, really important question that plays into the bigger picture of the markets and philosophy. Because like if, if, if you believe that when you go to work, whatever you produce, that you don't own a right, not, not to the production, but to the trade that you made for it, right? So like if you go to work for somebody else and you agreed to trade your time and they would give you money for putting in the time, then the product of your labor was at that agreed upon price. Mm -hmm. So you got paid for it, okay? If you own a business and you do something, then the product of your labor, but it's your labor is at your discretion for a traded price, right? I think that's really, really important because as soon as somebody says to you, well, you have to go to work mm -hmm. and this is what you'll get paid. That changes the narrative, doesn't it? Well, it really does because it's no longer voluntary. Mm -hmm. Okay, And so then it really starts to cross some ethical lines and we have to say, well, what exactly is that scenario? And I feel like the globalist theory kind of taps into that train of thought, right? Because, I mean, we talked about like some European countries that might not have a military and yet the U.S. is kind of expected to be the global police in a sense, right? So you're they're looking at it like, hey, you know, you pay for it and we have a right to access it. And And this is where... Uh, I know what you're saying, yeah. right? I don't, I mean, I think people, the reason we say this is because I think it's experienced, but I don't think it's an entitlement by default, right? Just because mm -hmm. the United States has a strong military doesn't mean that we're supposed to de facto provide it everywhere for free, but largely that's sort of what appears to happen in many right. cases. Yep. And so folks start to get, the attitude is like, well, then they must have this attitude of like, you know, well, I'm entitled. Okay, maybe, maybe not. But again, the evidence sort of indicates that that's the case. Mm -hmm. uh, in theory, that's not how it is, right? But no. what we're seeing in practice, I guess I'm drawing the distinction between what's, what's the reality? theoretical way it would yeah. work. Because all of these ideas are polluted, right? Mm -hmm. they're, they're all sort of, they're commingled. So we have both globalist and nationalist tendencies. They're commingled and they compete with each other in different ways. The issue, I think, comes into play when you start to look at what do the regimes want and how are they trying to leverage the results or outcomes they're looking for, right? Uh, one of the ways that you see this, and again, I'm not taking a position on whether it's right or wrong, I'm just saying it is happening, okay, is that on a globalist perspective, you've seen a lot of effort toward getting countries to rally together around PACs for climate accords, for example. Mm -hmm. The idea that if we can standardize behaviors and start to implement rules that supersede the governing authorities, but instead become kind of a like a, a globalized rulemaking body, mm -hmm. an environment is one of those, well, we're all subject to it, so we all need to be aware, so let's all get on board with this thing. And, and then how are you going to organize it? Well, we're going to need to get somebody to come along and organize it. And uh, anytime you do that, you start getting power brokers. Mm -hmm. And power brokers can determine, well, if you're going to have environmental policy, then you can start doing things like cap and trade. And if you can start doing things like cap and trade, then you can start to pick winners and losers. If you can pick winners and losers, it would behoove you to be the one in charge of picking the winners and losers. Mm -hmm. and, that and, and so your policy can influence who wins and loses, and so the policymakers become very powerful, right? I, I imagine there's some listeners who are hearing that and they're thinking in their head, you win, you win, you win, right? Like, well, I, I yeah. think that that's been a big one. I mean, mm -hmm. the UN has marshaled a lot of uh, climate 
moves. And if for the conspiracy theorists out there, they would suggest, well, yeah, if the UN can marshal all of these assets and create policies and they can start creating cap and trade regulations and start trading. Then in there's a cash credits. flow. Yeah. Well, yeah. You think about so who's buying the carbon credits? Well, the companies that don't meet the policy guidelines need these carbon offsets. Who gets to sell them? Like, where do they come from? Mm-hmm. And well, this governing authority can conjure them or trade them. So we'll, we'll over here, these people have carbon offsets, so we can use those to offset over there. Now there's money that's involved like a in redistribution trading back and forth. of yeah. It, it becomes another form of tax, which becomes a funding mechanism. And again, if if you want to, I mean, follow the money, right? It, the money always money. talks, right? Well, it it just exposes the motivations too. Mm-hmm. I mean, there may be some altruistic motivation to climate change, but it's not exclusively altruistic. And no. that's the part that I just constantly kind of beat the drum on is it's not like I don't see how having fewer harmful and poisonous emissions from any kind of industrial output or vehicle output or whatever is a bad thing. Right. Okay. But I also don't buy into the virtuous signaling of like, well, I bought a Tesla and therefore I'm green. When I go, do you have any idea how toxic it is to build a Tesla? Right. So like, let's not reposition where the pollution occurs and say we're okay. That's that's like false. Again, that's virtue signaling. It's not real. Yeah. Uh, but I don't see any benefit to poisoning our atmosphere or poisoning our waterways. So largely I'm going, well, it's a good idea to not do that. That mm-hmm. doesn't make you an environmentalist. That makes you a pragmatist. I mean, the environment wins <laughs> for being a pragmatist, right? Here's a crazy thought. Don't poison stuff. Yeah. Like, wow, that's so revelatory, right? Like, that's political. What a bunch of nonsense, right? Uh, so anyway, that's the issue, though. It's like, follow the money, right? I mean, like, because the, the data is not cut and dry, especially if, uh, now this is conspiratorial, right? But especially if there's a vested interest in the one reporting the data, right? So great. If, if, if uh, this is this is the idea, well, the drug companies did all the research on uh, the vaccine. Right. And they're the ones that get to sell it and profit from it. So it's and, like. And you go, there's no conflict of interest there, right? <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> so, and, you know, maybe they really, maybe it was as good as could possibly be. The point is just that. You should be disclosing conflicts of interest. That's the key. And okay. that's something we do. That's what fiduciaries do. <laughs> yeah, right? that's I mean, our like, job. All day long, I'll tell a, a customer, like, here's where, you know, we would have a conflict. or Here's where we might get paid and it could potentially sway our recommendation. You need to be aware of that, mm-hmm. right, to make sure that you believe that we're still working for you. So, anyway, my, my, my case on globalism is we were pretty globalist. We are pretty globalist. This economy... Uh, we're seeing some improvement in supply chains because COVID in most areas of the industrialized world is now managed different than it was a year or two ago. So much fewer lockdowns and shutting down of businesses still happening some in China, right? Still. Yeah. What's effect. going on there? Like, I can't, I, can't, I just, I don't I, understand I mean, it. There's gotta be internal motivations, whether it's a power play or there's mm-hmm. something else that they're not copping to that's really going on. I don't know, but it, it, it's it not, doesn't register with us culturally. Right. Well, and it's not economically beneficial. Yeah. So that's the part that really throws me for a loop because Absolutely. the money isn't following the action. Yeah. And it, so it, it, it doesn't compute. It doesn't. So I'm very suspicious as well. Bigger things at play. There bigger has things to be. At play. So that's one of them. Uh, 
And, you know, we can still look at uh, the, the war in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Major energy disruption with Russia huge. and the, the sanctions that are going on, and Russia is a huge supplier of oil to uh, you know Western Europe in general. And so this winter is going to tell. This winter is going to be very, very challenging. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and there's also the fact that the United States, with the rising dollar, because as our interest rates go up, our dollar is yielding better than it is in weaker uh, economies, like European economies that are weaker right now. So it becomes cheaper to go buy products overseas. They're doing quantitative easing. They're trying to lower interest rates, which means money is going, well, way better interest rates in the U.S. Let's go put our money there. Mm. Okay, And that just drives the value of the currency down even further. So globalism has some issues that it, if, if you were a globalist, you would be seeing this and going, this is destabilizing to the global economy. Mm-hmm. This is why we need a controlling authority to keep it from getting so destabilized. That's the key right there. Like if you yeah. actually want to be a globalist, what does it mean right now? Yeah. And on a global scale. So now, and a big thing happened. Like what's tipping the hat that this is real? I'll, I'll tell you, but I'll make you wait until after this last oh, Okay. All right. Stick around. And when we come back, uh, ask me what princes have to do with globalism that and more this is dave littlejohn and matt dixon yeah true well on news radio 93.9 fm and 12:40 kqen all right gang welcome back to the home stretch of the true well show dave littlejohn and matt dixon and reminder podcast if you want to get caught up this one has been the macro show talking mm-hmm. big picture podcast is at littlejohnfs.com okay and the big picture backdrop was simple. Uh, we feel like maybe the markets have a little bit of a bump to them. Uh, there are some technical signs that the market has been oversold, and we've seen the last few days some rally that managed to stick a little bit today. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it's all in the clear and going higher. It's not what it means. No. Um, but we think if it does go higher, it also doesn't mean that we're out of the woods. We no. can see the markets go up and then fail and, and retrace back down. So. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of economic indicators that are still a mess. Oh, yeah. We talk about the global picture, and I was at the break, I said, you know, what does a prince have to do with globalism? Mm -hmm. Okay. And yeah, it's code speak. It it really is, we're talking about Saudi Arabia, right? And Prince Mohammed. And Prince Mohammed. And there's, there's not a secret that right now there's some pretty strained relationships between the Biden administration. And by proxy, the United States. Yeah. Right. And Saudi Arabia and Prince Mohammed, again, by proxy. Now, Saudi Arabia in this case is also a proxy for OPEC, mm-hmm. right? Oil, petroleum exporting countries, which is the cartel that largely manages oil prices. Mm-hmm. Right? We talked earlier in the program about how oil prices are being uh, potentially manipulated or attempted to be so and that we're coming into an election cycle, okay? Now, prior to this segment as well, right before the break, we talked about globalists. And one of the things that we see is globalists, there has been an effort to get many, many countries to collaborate and in the area of climate management, right? Climate change. And that with that comes financial and political interests, okay? And the interesting thing about it is one of the largest issues on the table is greenhouse gases and emissions. Mm-hmm. Okay? And we know that fossil fuels are historically viewed as one of the 
primary contributors of that, which puts OPEC and Saudi Arabia on the fringes, really on the outskirts of a lot of the climate issues here. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's a strange relationship where we need the energy and they have it. But we're also trying to step up. And, and I mean, I'm going to just say here, I think there's a lot of virtue signaling in environmental policy. Uh, it bothers me because I find it somewhat disingenuous. You can't say things like, well, look at all the cre- clean energy we have, you know, in the United States. Uh, meanwhile, we're, you know, encouraging China to burn coal. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's like, well, or if we're not encouraging, we're not discouraging because we're allowing that to happen. And then we ship our jobs over there and they can do it for cheaper. And so, yeah. you know, and then the manufacturing comes back cheaper. It's like, Burn coal to make our products yeah. while we preach that's, being green. That's the issue with virtue signaling to me is it's like you want to say you're doing something. But what you're really doing is allowing somebody else to do it in their backyard and, then, and saying, well, at least it's not me. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Right. And, and, I, and that to me is like, that's not. And, and if your answer is, well, at least that's like being something. a drug dealer. Right. Like I don't do the drugs, but I supply them to the neighbor and we let them do it. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's just there, there's kind of a messy entanglement there where you go. What kind of impact do we expect to have? Yeah. Now, the flip side is not like, well, because they're doing it, we may as well do it, too. That's not the flip side of the argument. Okay? Mm-hmm. But it is the idea that, well, if we could make it more sensible to not use that, then the markets would naturally take care of it, too. So we need to seek ways to make it more viable, not by redistributing or by faking it, by saying things like, oh, well, we have alternative energy. We'll just put a bunch of government subsidy behind it because that's what we want. And go, but that's not well thought out either. You know, like solar panels have a lifespan. You overpay at the front. They produce where they're supposed to, and at the end, you dispose of them, and you don't have any way to reclaim them. Then you got a different issue, right? Like, great. So we just deferred our environmental problem. Yeah, that's a real problem, by the way. That is Look a real it problem. up. Like, what are they doing with solar panels? Because yeah. it's not cost efficient to recycle them. Correct. And they take up a ton of space. Correct. And they're very, very dirty when you Correct. try and break them apart. So, all all real things. Bottom line is at the end of this, this the, the global versus nationalist events are going to continue. There's a huge undertone to politics right now. And the, there's a real divide around this too. Okay, And then the, the politics that follow through. But you can see how this is connected, right? Energy supply, people sort of outside of the climate umbrella, but they're still needed because, frankly, we just need the cheap energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? we are not able to be... And, and you see it ripple through the whole system. And all of this at the end of the day is to come back to that in about three weeks, much of this is resolved. And the reason I say I don't think the outcome of the election really changes a whole lot is because all of the different interconnections aren't going to radically change post-election. The only thing I've tried to suggest is if there's a major turnover in the House or Senate, it would produce more gridlock in D.C. It may can't say it will it may shorten the cycle of the economic downturn because federal reserve policy might be more effective mm-hmm. and i say that only because it seems like washington dc hasn't gotten the memo no they, they have they not print they, they, it's like well let's do more stimulus and said the economy is too hot that's the problem well yeah so we'll fix it with stimulus right no the uh, we need the inflation reduction act but that was more spending well, no, it's spending on infrastructure. It's still spending. Yeah. It's buying the infrastructure at prevailing wage at the highest point in history. 
So it doesn't make it cheaper. Yeah, the one time where it's like it's crucial you don't spend right here, guys. Like the Fed speaking, please just yeah, let yeah. us catch a break. Just hold your horses here. Right. Don't do this, but nah, then you realize let's just go spend it all. This is literally a follow the money event because it's, it's all the people trying to get elected. What's the, their pitch? They're buying. They're trying to buy votes. The, that's that's the pitch. Is look at the things I can give you. Mm-hmm. And at what cost? Well, the, no, just no, we don't ignore the, the cost. cost. Yeah, look at the things I can give you. We don't ask about the cost, right? Yeah. And put the blinders on, kids. Okay, like I'm not. That's I'm not. That's not partisan. That's just everybody, right? And and I will blame the other guy. Like that's the rule anymore. Like it's let's not. What have I done? It's like how bad is the other person? Mm -hmm. We've really gotten to that point. So, uh, I'll blame a lot of it on social media, not for anything other than it worked, right? I mean, like we bought it, so. I can only blame them so much because we own it, but here we go. All right, look, bottom line, we got some bumps in the road ahead of us. It's going to happen. If you need help navigate them, navigating the bumps, call us. Matt, how do they reach us? 541-375-0898. All right. And uh, you can also check us out online at info at littlejohnfs. Well, that's the email, info at littlejohnfs.com, and the webpage is just www.littlejohnfs.com We're out of time. Okay. All right. Well, I guess we're out of here. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. You've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Littlejohn Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.